Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 67. Sometimes you fail, sometimes you make it, but usually those failures are just ways to learn and learn how to do better next time, and eventually you'll get there. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers, and every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardich. You're growing more than grass. You're growing a healthier ecosystem to help your cattle thrive in their environment. You're growing your livelihood by increasing your carrying capacity and reducing your operating costs. You're growing stronger communities and a legacy to last generations. The grazing management decisions you make today impact everything from the soil beneath your feet to the community all around you. That's why the Noble Research Institute created their Essentials of Regenerative Grazing course to teach ranchers like you easy-to-follow techniques to quickly assess your forage production and infrastructure capacity in order to begin grazing more efficiently. Together, they can help you grow not only a healthier operation, but a legacy that lasts. Learn more on their website at noble.org slash grazing. It's N-O-B-L-E dot org forward slash grazing. Be sure and listen in the upcoming events for grazing courses coming near you. On today's episode, we have Adam Labina. We're going to discuss goats and virtual fencing. I think just those two things are enough to be interested in it. We don't have a large amount of guests that's running goats, but he's running goats and using it for goatscaping. And we also talk about his virtual fence and how that's working for him. Before we get to Adam, 10 seconds about Pie Farm. It's basically about weather. It's that time of year. The heat dome has really set in. Now, they did say the high-pressure system is moving off to the southwest and not trying to make this a weather forecast, but this heat, I'm not enjoying it. The forecast has some cooler weather for us. As soon as it cools down, we are going to wean our ram lambs. Also, I'm not sure if I mentioned this. I picked up a few more Corriente heifers. I've got them running with the bull. So pretty excited about that. I am ready for a little bit cooler weather, though. August is a very busy month for my off-the-farm job, so it's going to keep me hooked up. I hope everything's going great in your world. And don't forget, we have the Grazing Grass Community on Facebook now. So you can just search for the Grazing Grass Community and click join. Love to have you there. Enough about all that. Let's talk to Adam. Adam, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're here today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Adam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation? Sure. So we're located in central Iowa. I run a large-scale holistic meat operation called Iowa Kiko Goats. We've got Kiko Goats. They're a breed out of New Zealand, and they're a low-maintenance, high-performance, high-production animal. And we also do goatscaping. I run a business called Blue Collar Goatscaping, and we take goats around the state and Invasive species such as fluoros, wild parsnip, poison ivy, any kind of invasive brush, and have the goats eat that down. Very good. Where are you located for our listeners? 
Yep. So I'm in Tama County, Iowa. Now, when you say Iowa, I just picture crops everywhere. And a lot of people have that, I'd say misconception, but I mean, it's, it's true to some degree. Iowa, a lot of people say Iowa is pretty flat and it depends where you're at. We've got the Lost Hills in Western Iowa. But once you flatten out from the Lost Hills, it gets pretty flat through Western Iowa. And then you've got the Des Moines Lobe that kind of goes around. And then Northeast Iowa is super hilly, the Driftless area, the Blufflands up in the Wisconsin corner. And then right here in Tama County, we kind of, we call it the Bohemian Alps. We got a bunch of, bunch of people from Czech heritage and it's real hilly here around the Iowa River. Anywhere along the Iowa River is pretty hilly, but here especially, Vining, Cloutier, Chelsea, Toledo, Tama, it's pretty pretty hilly, and this is, I'd call it goat country, so this is what we're doing. Now, are you from that area? Yep. Originally from this area, South Tama was my school district, the southern half of Tama County. I grew up in Toledo. Tama Toledo is kind of a, a twin city. It's just two little towns of about 2,000 people each. I grew up there and to Central College in Pella. So Pella is about an hour and a half away. From there, I studied abroad a little bit. That's where I got a little more cultured and bounced around for a while and worked all over the place. Coming back here, pretty close to home, close to where my parents farmed. And did you grow up on a farm? No, uh, both sets of grandparents farmed. My, my mom's side and my dad's side both farmed pretty traditionally. I mean, corn, soybeans, cattle. My dad's side had a, had a dairy for a while. It was a pretty small dairy. And then on the other side, they, my mom's side, they had, they had hogs, chickens. I mean, a little bit, each was a little, little unique, but pretty general, typical farming, corn, soybeans, hay, cattle. And that, so that was my grandparents. And then going to my, my parents, I mean, dad's a carpenter, mom's a secretary. And so I didn't have that next generation farm. Like I didn't, I didn't grow up on the farm per se, but like summers I'd be out doing something on the farms. Uh, but I think that really helped with my, where I'm at now, as far as like my, I didn't have that whole, well, we do it this way because we've always done it this way. Like we skipped a generation there. And so I could kind of come back with these new ideas and, you know, far-fetched ideas in some, some regard, but, and then like went I went to a four-year liberal arts school, like, you know, a lot of people have different, it wasn't an ag school. And so, I, I learned different things, again, studying abroad in Europe for, for a semester and spending some time just learning different things and coming back with, you know, I, I see how the world operates now and not just, not just small town Iowa. And there's the amazing ways that they can coexist and, and work together with two different mindsets. And I kind of walk that fine line between two worlds in a lot of different respects in my life. Very good. The one thing I didn't hear in any of that was goats. So when did you get interested in goats? Both of my grandpas actually, they passed away when I was a senior in high school. And so I left to go to college and the family rented out the two farms to neighbors, and farmers to, you know, basically rent it and, and do, do, do row crop and had cattle and doing basically there was no uh, continuation of the existing farm because it's all rented out. But that land's there and, and there's an opportunity in a sense. Now I didn't have to worry too much about the farm. I, I didn't know I was coming back to farm by any, by any means. And the farms, again, the farms were taken care of. They were rented out. Everything was fine. But I still, I come back and I see, you know, trees growing up everywhere and a rented farm is never going to be quite as cared for as an owned farm or a family, a family line farm. I don't know how you would say that a dynasty farm. 
So when I see certain things like, oh, that could get cleaned up and I'd come back from college, I'd scrap some metal, I'd scrap some, some junk that was around or a little thing here and there. Well, then I'd come back the next summer and things were grown back up again and not necessarily maintained the way I'd like to see it maintained. And I, maybe I shouldn't care because I'm not there, but graduated college. I was, I studied environmental science, biology, that kind of stuff. I was pretty into conservation management and working for the the DNR, the Pet Department of Natural Resources for the state, and a couple different pathways there with Pheasants Forever and AmeriCorps. I ended up moving down to Florida. I worked down in the Everglades for their state department and did surveys on wildlife, moved out to California, worked in the parks, a lot of different things. I mean, between conservation management and fire, prescribed burns, and everything pretty much based around conservation management. But while I'm out there, they're everywhere. You know, we're burning, we're spraying herbicide to, to, to kill off invasive species control. And we are running, you know, hundred thousand dollar track, track loaders with a pecan head, a forestry head mulcher on it to chop up invasive species. And everything I'm doing, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, goats can do this. And it's kind of a ha ha moment. Goats can do this, but like who, who has goats? Who's going to do goats? And, and it, you kind of have to be a little harebrained to, to get, to get into goats. And well, I'm on a 45 degree steep slope, clearing invasive species with a brush cutter, rolling an ankle, and and I don't like to be spraying herbicide. And both my grandpas had passed away from cancer, and you know they're farmers that sprayed things all the time, and you always got to wonder was it connected to that? And stepping away from that, and and so I got I got a few goats and a few goats. If you know goats, a few goats turns into a few more goats, and then it just snowballs from there. And now it's a lot of goats. So when you, you got a few goats, how did you get started with just a few goats? Just, just share us about your start there. I think I, the first goats I got, I got five goats. I got four does and a buck. And again, these were crossbreed goats. They're just random goats that somebody had. Bah, we had yeah, four does and a buck. And then I ended up getting a bunch of bottle kids from a dairy. It was, it was, it was a dairy that was going out of business. So like, that stinks for them. It worked out really well for me because they had the doe herd sold, but the kit, they were bred and the, the buyer wasn't coming quick enough. So basically they had these kids that were already sold, but the people weren't ready for them. So I, I just found myself in a nice spot and I don't know how I got there. We were like driving by and they had goats and I stopped and talked to them and this opportunity came up and it was an older couple that kind of knew what I was into with this crazy idea. And they're like, that sounds cool here. We'll support you. So I was getting the baby goats and they were actually, they were dumping the milk because they, their contract, they didn't have the contract to sell the milk and they already sold the goats. So they're just basically milking them to keep them in good condition. So I had the baby goats and I had the milk supply and it was like two and a half hours from home. So it was up in Northeast Iowa where, you know, Wisconsin, Northeast Iowa, a lot of the dairies are up there. Not that many goat dairies, but, but they really, yeah, that's, I had, I think I had close to a hundred bottle kids that, that winter and between that winter's bottle kids and then my five goats that had babies, I was selling the males to pay for the milk and feed and to keep the babies, the, the females around. Kind of went from there. And after a year of using a boar buck and seeing the issues that come from boar goat genetics, I ended up getting a Kiko buck and really saw a night and day difference. And that's where the Kiko thing started. So pretty close to where I started with goats, I started with Kiko, but there was a, about a year lapse between goats in general and then specifically Kiko. And then it grew from there pretty substantially. 
I had a similar start. Not I didn't have any kids, bottle kids like that. I'm not sure I want any, to be honest. But I started with boar goats, and I'm and I know there's some boar goats out there that'll produce. A lot of the boar goats in my area are show goats. So so you gotta be really particular about what you get. And I, I didn't do a good yeah. job of that. I purchased some show goats and thought I could make them into production animals. I didn't learn as fast as you. It took me probably three, four years before I got a Kiko. And then then it, I was like, oh, this is so much better. And at least for what I was doing, I didn't care about showing. I was I wanted them to kid. I wanted them kid in the pasture. I wanted to walk out there and count them and ear tag them. And I didn't want to babysit them. And, and for me, that worked out good. So I was a little bit of a slow learner there. It took me a little bit longer. A lot of people make that mistake with, you know, you, you get into boar goats and especially sale barns. People go to sale barns and see a lot of boar goats selling and they hear that you got to have boar goats because they're, they're a big meat goat. And at a time they were one of the only meat goats. Kikos are a fairly new breed, but with the boar goats, that's what you see at shows. You go to county fair, state fair, all these different fairs, you see boar goats and you think that's the only thing there is. And so you get a bunch of boar goats and then you're kind of s- stuck in there. You might spend a lot of money on them and you just kind of keep breeding these problems and you don't know, you don't know that you're breeding a problem for a couple of years. You don't really see a, like a poor mothering or a lack of parasite resistance, different things like that. And so you just kind of stick with it for a couple of years. And after a few years, you're losing money. And then you, you might learn that there's other breeds out there to experiment with. And, and we did that too. We experimented. We've had, we've had every breed you can. Cause once you have something that works, it's like, well, is it, was it me or was it the goats? Like maybe it's cause I didn't know anything. Cause I just had my first goats. We got some Savannah. We got some Spanish. We got some Bane goats. We've had a little bit of everything. And all the different dairy breeds, and we've had everything, and Kiko is really the the thing that works the best for us. I have to agree now. I did purchase some Spanish does, and I plan on crossing these up a little bit, but the Kikos worked out wonderfully for me, just that the timing wasn't right. I will probably buy some more in the future. I say probably, that way my wife's listening. She just thinks it's a possibility. But when you got all those goats... Did you have any trouble with keeping them in? So I learned pretty quick. And especially I started this business for the brush management side of things. So I started with electric net. So Premier One electric net fencing and nine strands of electric nets with vertical stays. And that, if you keep it hot, that's not a problem. The only time you'd have goats out with that is if one, you've got jumpers or two, your fence comes down because of deer or a branch or something like that. But if you can stay on top of it, there's no big issues with that. The problem comes when you, with your permanent, your hard fences, the things that you think as a producer will work and they don't. And if you just step away from like, this is where, again, I had a pretty good experience as a first, almost a first generation or a first generation back to farming. I didn't have, you know, my dad saying, no, you can't do that because X, Y, Z. It was I'm making this up as I go. My parents were very supportive of it. And I'm sure there were times they were really questioning what the heck I was doing. But the other nice thing was since, the, again, those farms, my grand, both my grandpas passed away my senior year of high school. And they, those farms grew up, trees grew in the fence lines. They got, they got destroyed over time. And basically the whole farm needed to be refenced. And if you've got really bad fences, you know not to trust them. Whereas if you have mediocre fences, 
then you're going to, or, or even if you have a new cattle fence, you have a new five or six strand barbed wire fence, you just put a bunch of money into it. You're going to want to use that. Well, that's not going to keep goats in. Barbed wire is not going to keep goats in. And then it's your goats might be walking through it, and then they're going to slice an udder when now you've got a hazard. And if you've got a woven wire fence or a traditional woven wire fence, the six by six, then you've got a head catch and goats have horns. So you stick your head through, you got a barbed hook. Those goats are stuck and they probably, they will be there for a while and they will probably die if you're not there to pull them out. So you will have casualties and you'll either learn from it or you'll continue to have those problems. You'll pest goats and then you won't have goats anymore because you're sick of the problem. I always look at things as a positive and I try to learn from my mistakes and improve on them. And again, with old fences, I'm tearing it all out, putting in new anyway. So at the time I'm thinking, well, I'll put my money where my mouth is, pay a little bit more for these hard fences and I'll have good goat type fences. Well, after mathing it all out, it's actually cheaper to go with the fences that I use. And one, the electric net fences are mobile. I can go anywhere with them. I used nothing but electric net for three years. And then I started getting hard fences and I learned, I used four by four hard fences for one or two years. And I learned Still had some issues with those because the four by four, you still have babies get stuck and those babies don't last very long being stuck. So then we stopped. We still have some of those because we already installed them. We put the money into them and they work to some degree. We now use 12 inch vertical stays on our hard fences. So it's built just like our electric net fences. It's stay tufted out of Texas. There's a stuff I really like. It's 12 inch vertical stays. So the goats put their head through. They eat on the other side. They eat your mulberry trees, your cedar trees, all the stuff that your birds are pooping out and growing on your fence lines. They eat all that. They keep it clean. And that's amazing stuff. And I have to buy by, by the semi-load because nobody carries it around here. So I buy a semi-load of Stay Tough Fence and install miles and miles of it. And I couldn't be happier with it. Luckily for us, I don't have to buy that much. We do have a few pastures fenced in that goat wire with the 12-inch stays. And works out great. We did just put in a four by four wire, field wire fence on my dad's place. Of course, we don't have any goats on my dad's place now. They're all running on lease land. That's been a worry about of mine with the four by four because I've used some four by four goat panels or horse panels. And sometimes a kid will get a head hung and you got to be quick about that. Now on the lease land, I've gone with electro netting or electric netting which works out great other than the labor to, to move it. I It's a workout. So I, what tips do you have for that? I call it my my gym membership. I enjoy, I like being outside. It's still, it's still work, but it keeps me fit. I know I would be twice the man I am today if I wasn't working outside, putting in the miles. And I've got an Apple watch just to see, like people always ask me, like you're always outside doing stuff. Like how many how many steps do you get in? How many miles? And it's like, on average, I'm hitting 20, 20 steps, 20,000 steps a day. And you know, walking five to 10 miles a day or more than that, depending on where I'm at. But again, I, I have, a, it's my business. It's my life. Like I'm, I'm hiking in new fencing and picking it all up and moving. And again, I love it. Like you get exercise, you get the endorphins going. You're outside. I'm eating berries. <laughs> like I've got my dog with me. And it just, you're outside getting your tan on, like every, it's, I don't know. I, I love my operation. The worst part for me on moving the netting, the netting is the honey locust trees. And one of the lease properties I have, they have just grown up thick. Now, I just love what goats do to them, but 
I have to make my trail where I'm not too close to those because that'll grab that netting and then I got to untangle it. Outside of that, it works great. And I've even thought about increasing my numbers and, and grazing some areas that's not so brushy. Well, and that's that's the stuff you want them on anyway. I mean, the well, one, you want to get it cleared out. So you put the goats on it. And two, so I used to hate honey locust because that is popping all your tires and causing problems and it's thorny like you hit the thorns but that's actually well one it's a nitrogen fixer it's a legume so it's a nitrogen fixer it's high protein it's very good for the goats to eat the the seed pods everything about them the seed pods the leaves everything about them is a, a good uh, nutrition short source you look we watch deer or turkeys they're always out there eating those honey locust pods and i have so many trail camera pictures of a deer standing up with a honey locust pod in its mouth and all the goats are doing the same thing and you, you know it's a good wildlife and and even just animal protein source in general. Austin that was on our podcast, I, I don't even know what episode right now, a long time ago, talking about silvopastures. He's a honey locust fan. If you can find some varieties made with a few less thorns, and he's talking about those those seed pods, you can breed them for higher energy and get different types of seed pods. I was actually looking the other day, I've got seed pods in the trees already and i wasn't i was a little surprised by that i thought it'd be a little bit later sure sure and that's you know silver pasture has two different spectrums you've got where you're planting say a grass field an open field two species and then you've got the other end where you've got all that stuff already and you're grazing it working the trees and that, i fall into that spectrum of things right i don't have to plant anything they're already out there and i'm using what's already there but that is neat when you can plant a certain variety of almost like a problem species. But I mean, if you can breed less thorns, more protein, more, more fruit, more volume in the pod, that's, that's awesome. I mean, you can plant mulberry trees and honey locusts. There's all these, again, pro most people see them as a problem species, but if you've got goats and you can contain them, then they're not a problem. I, I've got areas like that, that these are in the center of my farm. They will not escape if I have goats. And if something happens where I don't have goats anymore, I can light a fire, burn through. Most of those are pretty susceptible to fire and then they'll be gone. And I, again, I'm, I'm a fire, I'm a, I'm a wild and firefighter. So like I'm used to using fire as my tool for clearing invasives, like between the goats and the fire, I definitely don't need my chemical herbicide or my, you know, expensive equipment. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, let's just talk just a little bit about your prescribed burns and if you use that as a tool for me, I've never used it as a tool because I, I was never raised around it. I did take a range management class when I was going to college and they talked about prescribed burns, especially in this area for Eastern red cedar. But for me, I'm not familiar enough with it. So to me, it's, it's one of those tools that I don't have in my tool belt because I'm not familiar with it or even when I would use it for sure. Sure. And it's, it's one of those things, if you're not super skilled with it, you're not super familiar with it, it's good to not have it in your tool belt and just leave it to the professionals because now, now as a, as a volunteer firefighter for our local department, like that's, we have calls all the time of, of an out of control fire. And nine times out of 10, it was somebody started their own fire and it got away from them. And I, I'm professionally trained. Like I, I've learned to, I don't even use water when I conduct my own fires. You should always have water as a backup, but if you can train yourself to not need it, great. Like I have a drip torch 
which is a it's a diesel gas fuel mixture that pours out just drips out and you can control a line light a line with that and then a leaf blower and that's all i need to really control a fire again having water as your emergency backup is great and things can go faster with that but if i can walk i don't need a quit i don't need a truck or equipment i can just walk it control it you have a couple guys do a couple people doing that you're safe but when i worked for the dnr even my conservation management in college like my conservation management classes like fire was a big part of the north american ecosystem and a lot of trees wouldn't be in certain areas because there'd be fire that would continue to go whether it was lit by lightning or native americans and it would just be fire controlling the or not controlling but openly controlling the landscape and especially in iowa iowa is a, is a prairie a prairie state and there would be fires coming through all the time between the buffalo herds and fire things things were a lot different than they are now but when i went out to california down in florida we i was on fire teams and working with the, the local dnr in iowa the state department we would do prescribed fires to manage prairies, bringing back more prairies, taking out more trees that can't survive fire, which is just about everything but oaks. And oaks are the trees that you like to have around and less of the weedy trees like your your cottonwoods and your mulberries and just different things that are less less useful, especially from a habitat standpoint. Your oak's one of your best habitat trees between acorns and just the fact that everything lives in an oak tree. And then when I was working for the Meskwaki Natural Resource Department here in Tama County, we had to be federally red carded. So you really have to go through all of your fire trainings, uh, basically ready to go out west whenever the, the, the call comes in. And that was just a standard since we were a, a sovereign nation. We get treated like as, as a federal employee. So we have to be up to the federal standards with the red cards and do pack tests and everything. So I'm a little uh, almost overqualified for a lot of fire in Iowa, but it's good to be overqualified nine times out of 10. And so then when, when my local Chelsea fire department found out that I was federally red guarded and had all this experience, I was quickly recruited to be on the volunteer fire department and we enjoy our grass fires. I imagine so. And I do think you hit on point there. If you're not familiar with it, leave it to professionals. It's definitely something you don't want to get out of hand. Anyway, enough about the burns. Let's go back to your goats. So you're using electro netting to fence them in and move them. How often are you rotating them? You mentioned earlier about goatscaping. Expand upon that some. In general, I like to move them, honestly, as quickly as possible. If you could move them every day, as you know, with a lot of cattle, cattlemen, regenerative agriculture, moving them every day is great. Twice a day, that, that's, that's amazing. If you've got the time to do it and whatnot, I'll say that nothing's easier than another. I'd say anything is easy, but Moving a single strand of electric fence is probably a little easier than moving a nine strand poly electro net fencing. We have to mow a line to put our electric fences on. So I will say we, we usually move within a week, about a week, no more than three weeks, depending on how big our paddocks are. That's how often we move the goats. That one, one that's great for the vegetation. I kind of go off of a 50%, kind of two different ways of looking at it. They eat half, leave half for the vegetation. I've heard eat a third trample a third and leave a third either way about the same look you move them when the land tells you to move them and then also to uh, biology of the goat it, the goats and sheep are just more susceptible to internal parasites so you want to kind of move them occasionally to keep them on fresh pastures and then the, the flirt concept is great if you've got cattle and goats and sheep all mixed together they kind of eat each other's parasites and keep a clean herd that way 
but we just use the goats for the brush management. So we rotate to a certain degree when the animals tell us to and when the vegetation tells us to. And when the calendar tells us to, if it's been within a certain timeline, but usually, usually about a week or less. But let's jump in there just before you get to the goatscaping. So you graze this area. It's got some brush in it. How soon do you come back to that? When we're thinking about cattle, you know, we're thinking 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, depending on the growth of that plant. But when we look at brush and trees, their growth rates are different than what we're doing with with grasses and weeds. Sure. And there's a couple different ways that I look at when to move, when to come back. Like I initially I'm clearing out brush on rented ground, trying to clear that brush. But then after I'm picking up these goatscaping jobs, I almost want some of that brush back to, I don't want to initially knock it out of the areas that I'm using as my home place, but when they're out on jobs, I want to knock it out, get it, get it cleared out to like 85, 95% leaf, 85 to 95% of the leaf matter gone. And then once it starts putting on new buds, we want to come back and hit it again in order to kill the plant. If I'm trying to manage, like on a silver pasture, if you're trying to manage to keep your brows, that kind of stuff, you want to graze it to a certain degree. Don't, don't kill it and then let it regrow. Don't come back for a while so that it keeps growing. Two different ways of looking. It's very different management on whether you're trying to raise, raise animals, raise goats on a piece of property versus clear out an invasive species problem. So yeah, it, it's all in that time, timing. You want to get them, uh, don't let that foliage regrow. If you're trying to knock it out, just stay on top of it. Basically, it puts out the leaves, knock out the leaves. Once it sucks up all the energy out of the roots and puts on another set of leaves, clear it again. And if it has anything left in its system, it'll sometimes require a third time. But if you can knock it out, if you can graze a piece of ground three times in one year, you're probably going to kill off all of the invasive brush. Multiflora rose, I've killed that in one hit. Honeysuckle is a little tougher. That usually requires two or three hits. Um, it tends to have leaves on into December even. So it's just a longer lasting, tougher, tougher plant. So oaks, oaks and honeysuckle about the only thing that still are green in, in December, late November. So when you, you mentioned there about, it really depends upon your goals for that area. When you're thinking about your goatscaping business, is that typically what you're doing? You're going in to, to get rid of those invasive species. Yes, that's that's 100% of the reason people call me for the ghostscaping is, hey, we've got a problem. We need to get rid of this invasive species. We either don't want to use herbicide. We don't have the manpower to go in there and cut it, selectively cut it one by one. We don't have the funds to get a machine in there or and we we don't want a fire to get away from us. So like when you there's always a reason that you can't have one of those four other ingredients. Goats is almost always friendly like there's there's no negative to the goats aside from like you know if the goats can get out or something like that but again we've got a very good track record of keeping our goats contained they they digest 96 percent of seeds that go through them they they do a very good job of not passing any seeds to to create another problem and they eat everything you want them to eat they for the most part don't eat things that you want to keep especially like doing prairie restoration on steep hill slopes you want to clear out all the invasive brush, the woody brush. So once they eat all the woody brush, then we can move them because we don't need them to sit there and eat grass. The prairie grasses, the prairie forbs, usually you don't want to have them eat that anyway. Um, the only thing is like sometimes they'll nibble on an oak and you probably want to keep an oak around, but oaks are pretty resilient. Um, they can handle fire. They can handle a little grazing. 
more so than those weaker species, those fast growing weak species versus an oak, a very slow growing strong species can withstand the, the multiple grazes versus those invasives that grow fast and get killed fast too. I see on TikTok with goatscaping and they're moving goats into, it's almost like an overgrown lot and they're grazing down that lot. Are you doing some of that or is this on a bigger scale? What's it look like? Small jobs, big jobs, medium jobs. Last week, we cleared out over a thousand acres across the state of Iowa. Most of my jobs are that medium to large size because I've just got a lot of animals, a lot of, I've got over 10 miles of electric net fencing and pretty good control over everything. You could be a smaller operator and clear out those, those lots in town. I'm also in Tama County, Iowa. It's, he called it the middle of nowhere, the center of everything. We're right inside of, we're about an hour from each direction from a major city. Cedar Falls is an hour north, Waterloo is an hour north, Cedar Rapids is an hour east, Des Moines is an hour west, Iowa City is an hour, like everything is an hour away. So like, I rather do these smaller, I, they'd be medium sized jobs. I like the five to 10 acre jobs. Those are great for me. One acre jobs. I still do them. It's just, I can cover a lot more ground with a lot more animals doing larger jobs. Yeah. The logistics of that sound like they could be a nightmare. Does someone stay with the goats on site or are you putting out the electric netting, providing a water source and you're leaving the goats there for a number of days? And you talked about how often you move them earlier. We'll mow a path, we'll set electric net up, and we've got good hot fencers. We put a lot of money into our fencing system because, again, that's going to be our weak point. And so we keep those nice and hot, keep the the deer, the predators out to keep the goats in. I work with my landowners, the the people who want the job done, kind of work with them on if they've got somebody on hand that can that can check things. But also, if there's any question, I'm there that day. But if it can save me a certain trip, I, for the most part, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm driving a big circle, hitting all the jobs every day, every other day. Depends on, again, depends on the job. But I've, I've got eyes on goats within 24 to 48 hours. Water's there. We've got, like to have a water source available. Like I like to put them in a stream. Typically, your, your goat jobs are going to be on a steep embankment, which is going to have a stream at the bottom of it. I say on a normal year because we've had three years of drought. This is the, the worst one yet. And there's no water on a lot of places, which also helps on the grazing job when you're doing a goatscaping job and knocking out the brush and there's no water for those roots to suck up and put on foliage. They're easier kills. The jobs are done better on a drought year, but then yeah, just getting water to them can be an issue. We've got water tankers that we're hauling around. If it's a small job, we've got 50 gallon drum on a four wheeler or a ranger. If it's a big job, we've got, or a medium job, I've got a 275-gallon IBC on the back of a three-quarter ton pickup. And if it's a really big job, I've got three 275-gallon tanks, so about eight, 800 to 1,000 gallons on a trailer that goes to those big jobs and can dump a lot of water in a hurry. And it just, yeah, we've got a lot of tears, a lot of, a lot of tears to our systems. One thing when you talk about a small job, medium job, large job, what kind of goat numbers are you talking about with those jobs? So I like to run a number of 100 goats clear out about an acre a day. And that's not always exact. It just depends on what kind of forage it is, how big the goats are, what kind of appetite. Are they lactating females? Are they, are they kids? It just, there's a lot of different variables, but about 100 goats will knock out an acre a day. And I used to operate with um, 16-foot bumper hitch trailers. When I started the operation, I had an old 95 pickup with a 1980 Kiefer built rusted out 
trailer and I'm doing little jobs here and there. And I've since, uh, now I've got in my fleet, there's three trucks, four 16 foot bumper hitch trailers, and those are moving all the time because you can never have one down. So even if I, I can't drive all of them at the same time, but I've got help that will drive them and, or, you know, one has an issue, we switch the other one, but I just made a big step. And now we've got a 24 foot new gooseneck trailer, aluminum that can haul hundred head at a time, 80 to hundred head at a time and three, three quarter ton truck. So I can, I can move a lot more with that. But so I, I typically have 40 to 50 goats on a job or a hundred or a hundred plus. I mean, one to 500 on some jobs and like we'll clear, we'll clear 300 acres with five, six, 700 goats and moving them every week across the property, clearing out five acres, 10, five to 10 acres a week, moving across 300 acres. And that'll be like a long-term project, but it, it's what we do. <laughs> well, before I ask my next question. You mentioned earlier about you've got good energizers. Tell us what energizers are you using and how are you setting them up so that they function so well? So we started out with, again, with the Premier One Electric Net Fencing. It's simpler to get the Premier One fences that go with them. We just outgrew them. I like, I like they had a briefcase style, like metal box. You put all your cables in, you pick it up and you can go. I can go up two fencers and I can walk three miles into the timber with these fencers and hook up my fences and everything is great. But when you outgrow that, you know, I had 20 goats and I'm clearing out an acre over the course of a week. That's, that's not who I am anymore. Sometimes it is, but I had to up my systems and I'm running speed rights, I6000, speed right, I3000, bigger stuff. And you've got like a big old car battery now and a dolly system and these much bigger pieces, but also are, we're just every year you get more and more professional with it. Like we've got equipment that can drive into. Like I've got a four-wheeler and a ranger and a skid loader, and I've got all this stuff now that I can give a better, a better product to my, to my customers, to my clients. So I can, everything's a little bit nicer than it used to be, more efficient than it used to be, but you can do it with less. Like I definitely, yeah, back in the day was getting by doing it just fine with a lot less equipment and it would, yeah, it'd be fine. But yeah, I like, I like a speed right thousand, six thousand just. I always say the best you can afford, and that goes for different concepts in life, but especially with the fencers, buy the best thing you can afford. But I mean, breeding stock, equipment, everything is buy the best you can afford and don't go cheap. I used to be cheap on things and I just, yeah, I've paid the price. You get what you pay for that. I, I hear that echoing in my, the back of my head every day. You get what you pay for. <laughs> and one thing you mentioned, you mow a path before you put down the netting. Are you just doing that with a tractor and brush hog? Back in the day, like I, I had a chainsaw. I just flip the chainsaw on the side, use it like a sickle and cut a path. And I'm hunched over walking, cutting the sickle path because it's one piece of equipment, a chainsaw, 20 inch bar. It'll get the job done, especially when you're only clearing, you know, quarter, quarter acre, half acre. You could do that if on those small jobs. But then I upgraded to a chest harness brush cutter, big steel. I don't know what the number is, but heavy duty steel chest harness brush cutter. And that's great, but you, every time you swing your body, you're taking six inches at a time. Every six inches, you're swinging. You become a great dancer doing that, but clearing sixes at a time takes a while too. And there's still places I use that on steep inclines, but now, well, then I, I overstepped. I went to a, a skid loader with a mower on front. I mean, you're talking thousands of dollars for this kind of stuff. And then I can clear out a lot. I can clear out a wide path. It's great, except for I can't clear the areas I need to clear because... If you can clear it with a machine, a lot of people are already doing that. So those steep areas that I go to, 
they require something in between. So I just, too long ago, I ended up getting a, a DR trimmer, a DR. There's a couple of different styles. They say DR trimmer. There's the weed whip type, and that's, that's for grass. We don't use that. We've got a, a DR walk behind rotary mower, just like what you'd have on the back of a tractor or the front of a skid loader. You just, it's a self-propelled, you, you walk behind it. It's just a, a, a super, a super duty, uh, push lawnmower on steroids and it just chops up everything, you know, within a certain degree, a couple inches of a, of a, of a tree, a brush. But that's what, that's, that's been my baby. I take that on every job now, even if I don't need to use it, I take that because a lot of times you don't think you'll need it, but yeah, use that DR brush cutter, mow the path and then set up the electric net and then release the goats. No, very good. Very good. I did. I didn't even think about DR trimmer cutter like that. Years ago, we had a DR trimmer, but we just had the string in it. So it was just for grass. But yeah, that thing would, I, I assume with the proper blade on it and, and power, it could do some, some damage. It's a lot more labor. I only knew labor in the beginning and now I'm learning to work smarter and not harder. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. Of course, you know, we're all broke in the beginning. So that labor is what we can afford. Now, one thing we've, we've talked more about your logistics of moving goats, your goatscaping, but we really haven't covered too much other than the moves on your management of your goats. I think on your website, you say you're, you're breeding for production, performance, and low maintenance. Tell us how you're doing that. Yes. And so one of the biggest things that, one of the biggest things that comes with, with production performance and moving forward, always moving forward is your coal factor. You got a coal a problem animals. And a lot of people have problems with that because, you know, it's my favorite. I like this one. It has some site, some type of sentimental value. And we always did. I mean, there's always those animals, especially in the beginning, when you're starting out, you have memories, you have, you have emotion attached to those animals and you always do to some degree, but like the longer you do it, the more you realize, Hey, I've had this doe. She has gone three years without having a kid, or she had a single and she was a pain in the butt and I have model kids or she's got bad udder. There's all these issues that come out of it. And even if she can still raise a kid, you start looking at, oh, well, I'm trimming her hooves all the time. I'm deworming her all the time. There's all these issues. You, you got to cull those issues or you're never going to move forward in the next generation. And it takes years to get to that next, like you don't know your mistake for like on a kid for like three to four years because you know, you might not breed that first year. So you wait until they're two, then they have their first set of kids. And then they're still growing till about four. Their long bones continue to grow till four. So then at four years, you see what those kids look like. And then you don't know how that kid's going to perform for another four years. So you're, you're really, you're reaching out, seeing what the future is going to be. And, and you don't want to, you don't want to make a mistake early. And if you know you're making a mistake, you really kick yourself later. Like I knew I shouldn't have kept that one because that doe XYZ, same thing with cattle herd. I mean, you just got to learn to call. And, and I talked about earlier, like problem animals that, that get out, like jumpers. We don't have goats that jump. Jumping goats typically are the novelty breeds, the small, like I, I say novelty breeds. I don't know if anybody else uses that term, but your Nigerian dwarves, your pygmies, your fainters, they're fun, petsy. They're, I mean, they're fine. That's great if that's what you're doing. But like for production performance, like they're, they're a novelty item. They don't grow very fast. They're not going to be in the meat industry doing that. But so those breeds tend to jump, small goats tend to jump. And then if you have a jumper, you call it and now you don't have jumping goats. And we don't have goats that jump. Same thing with heads, sticking heads in fences or testing fences. If anybody is causing problems, they're going to genetically push that into their kids. 
and then everyone else is going to notice what they're doing. So you see a problem, get rid of it right off the bat and move on. And it sounds cold, like to just say, call it, call it, call it. And I maybe have gotten that way over the time, but that's what makes you a high quality breeding operation or a high quality farm that's going to push into the next, push it forward and try to be profitable and make it better. You just call every year. Any we, we, for five years, we called 50% of the herd, like our, our good does. I spent, I've spent $2,000 on does before that I've ended up having to call because she just not good enough. And so I call it and then, and the next generation is that much better. And so for five years, calling 50% of the herd, then we're to the point where we don't really need to call anything anymore, but we still do. And by pushing that and pushing it and pushing it and calling, even if we don't have to, your number would go up. Our goal is always to hit that 200% kidding rate. A lot of people with goats or sheep, they say 125%, 150%. They're happy with that. But everyone always wants twins. If you can get twins, you don't have to bottle feed. You don't have to get in there and be hands-on. If you can get twins, you're going to be happy with it. So we had twins. We we called for five years. We called 50% for five years. We had an average of 200 kids per acre or 200 kids per doe. And I was happy with that. And we still called the bottom portion. I don't even know what percentage after that, but we called the bottom portion. Next year, we had 235% kidding rate. Next year, 265% kidding rate. This year, we had a 2.94 kidding rate. 2.94 kidding rate on the on all of our does that we've been breeding up over the years. And we're almost having triplets on average. We had some that have fours and fives and and those does that can that can raise those kids are great. A lot of people say, oh, I don't want triplets or I don't want more than, more than twins because there's only two teats and those does can't handle it. And a lot of does can't. And again, those get cold. But when I have a doe that raised that has quince, she has five kids and she raises them all the way to weaning and she's weaning her weight in kids and there's been no problem. They look small when they wean. They're, they're going to be smaller because there's not as much to them. But if that mama has raised her weight in kids in those five kids and then a year from now, you can't tell the difference between a five-year-old and, uh, sorry, a, a quint versus a twin. You know, all of them look the same after about a year's time. And if I can get good growth on multiples, all better. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're getting more, those income producing units are raising more sellable units. I fully agree with the culling. I have not carried it to the, to the area you've gone to. And well, to be honest, I'm selling a, some cows this week and one of them's a pet, but my wife's like, you're selling her. She didn't have a calf. I'm sorry. She has a job. She, you know, we could say she's got one job and she didn't perform it. So someone's got to pay her, her grass bill. But that's impressive, those numbers on your kidding percents, because I've never even gotten a realm of that with the goats I've had. So I'm very impressed with those numbers. Sure. And it, like I said, it takes a lot of courage or guts to get there because you're calling some of your favorites and just having to do that. It hurts. It, it's hard. It's that emotional connection that we have to our livestock as farmers, as grazers. Like we, we love our animals. We, it's our lifestyle. We, we build that bond over the years with them. And I, I had a doe that was 14 years old and she had triplets. She kept having triplets. And I said, she's probably earned her retirement because, you know, after 14 years, what more can you expect? So I'm like, if she doesn't have kids or has a single, she's probably earned her retirement. And she must have heard me say that because it was that winter we lost her. She just died of natural causes that year. And she must have heard like, oh, I don't want to disappoint. I just want to stay strong. So she had four, she had triplets up until the day she died. I mean, yeah, but like, you know, see, I remember those. Like I have the, that emotional connection to a lot of those animals. And I can tell you memories from 
from every animal, but also you have to kind of, if you're going to move forward, you gotta, you gotta cull. Before we move on to the overgrazing section, I got two more questions for you about your challenges and your goals for the future. So first off, just what have been some challenges on your journey that you've came across? I mean, labor is always going to be that high challenge for, for me. I'm a one-man operation uh, to a lot of the degree. I do have help here and there. My dad's been amazing help, but he also, he's got a full-time job. He's doing this on, you know, nights and weekends with me and, and filling in where I, where he can. And, and, and he, yeah, he does, he, he gives more than he needs to. That's for, that's for sure. And then this year I actually have my first, I've got a high school intern who is learning the ropes and, you know, his, his resume, his verbal resume he gave me was, well, I, I did square bales with my grandpa. You got it. You find a kid these days that's ridden a rack and done square bales. That kid's hired on the farm. You know, he's been here this summer and he's been great. He's he's only 15. So he doesn't have a license yet. And he's 15. So he's got a few more years of high school. You can get a few more summers out of him. That's exactly. And I try to, you know, it's, it's an internship, a mentorship type of thing. So I tell him like, you know, now, if I was if I was in high school, I'd try to work a little bit in customer service, maybe be a waiter, and maybe I'd do some welding the next summer, and then I'd be an auto mechanic the next summer, just build those skills and this and that. And as I'm saying all that, he's like, Adam, I do all those things here. Like you're giving me the best general you know, jack of all trades type of type of job I could possibly have. So I I want to keep working here if I can. I'm like, you know, he's got a good point. We'll we'll just keep doing that. And as you look forward to the future, what are some of your goals for the next few years? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how the operations gotten, like the animals, they take care of themselves. They, they produce uh, the, the numbers are there, the culling. I mean, I'm still going to cull to the degree that I need to, but like, there's no low production animals anymore. The low production animals are higher production than most farms out there. So like that, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with, like, I've got plenty of business on the ghostscaping side, the, the meats, I've got buyers calling me to get. I don't have to find markets anymore because buyers find me. They know that I'm a pretty large scale holistic meat operation. They, they know where to find me somehow. I mean, I don't really do much advertising. I've got, you know, I've got a Facebook page, but like they, I've been fine on all those avenues. So now I'm just kind of focused on paying it forward. And like I do talks around the Midwest to some degree, like especially in the winters, but I do talks here and there, just kind of tell my story, say how we got to where we're going. Not sure exactly where we're going, but we're going somewhere. It's been quite the, quite the wild ride by just teaching people that there's, there's other opportunity, other options for in agriculture. It's not just corn, soybeans. It's not just cattle on a feedlot. It's, it's not just herbicide. You got to spray everything with herbicide and uh, there's, there's other options out there and, you know, just helping, help, helping new producers get started. I've got people that buy goats from me and no one's really a customer. They're more of a client. Like we stay in touch. They call, call back plenty of times throughout the year and. Yeah, usually end up either buy a buck, they come buy another buck the next, you know, whenever they need another one in a couple of years. And you know, this this kid I've got, this intern, like just teaching teaching the next generation, paying it forward and and helping other people get started. I wake up every day excited and happy to see work what we're gonna do today and and see where the path goes. And and I yeah, I'm a very, very happy with my job. Yeah, I wanna show people that you can you can do whatever you want if you just put your mind to it and decide that I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. This this job didn't exist when I was in college. Like I didn't know this is where I was going. I didn't know you could make up your own job. I thought you had to go get a job, use that degree, go get a job in whatever, and you stick to that job to retire. And I retired by the time I was 30 to do my dream job. And, 
I mean, it's still a lot of work, but I love it. <laughs> that is wonderful, wonderful, and playing it forward, that is. Adam, it's time we transition to our overgrazing section where we take a little bit deeper dive into one of your practices. And I believe today we're going to talk about virtual fencing. It's a new concept, and I'm very excited to see where it's headed. So what are you using for virtual fencing? How long have you been using? So I got hooked up with my virtual fence company called No Fence in Norway. We were both speaking at a conference, not this past winter, but the winter before, so about 18 months ago. They were they talked about the virtual fence system and how it works, and then I gave my talk on roadscaping. It all kind of goes together for me, but... They were at my talk. I went to their talk. We met up afterwards. They ended up stopping by the farm. They're they're going. They're taking a plane out of Chicago, so they stopped by my farm on the way by and checked things out. We kind of had that that connection and and asked me to be one of the pilot do a pilot project with them. And so I've got a number of of virtual fence collars, and we're seeing how it works. And I am pretty pretty satisfied so far. I haven't like I said, I haven't had it for like years, but I don't think. It, it hasn't been around for years, so we're we're kind of learning as we go. And the company I'm using is again called No Fence, just all one word, N O Fence, No Fence, out of Norway. And it looks like a cowbell hanging under goat's head. They've got them for cattle. They've got them for goats and sheep. Goats and sheep are the same deal. The cattle one's a little bit bigger. Again, looks like a cowbell. The the top two sides is like an A frame. The top two sides are solar panels, and the bottom is a battery pack that snaps in, and stays charged pretty well. When you get them in the mail, you plug them in, you charge them, charge them up to 100%. And then once I put them on the animals, they basically float between 50 and 80% every day. As the sun goes down, the days get longer and shorter. It, it fluctuates. But I haven't had to like pull one off of a goat and recharge it since I've been using it full stream. That'll probably happen at some point, but it just depends how much you're using it anyway, and how it works. That collar is on the neck and they, there's a chain that goes along the neck from the, from the bell. I call the bell. So that chain is a conductor of electricity. And then at the top, you've got a rubber strap. So if they happen to get caught on a tree or a branch or a fence or something, that, that tear, that rubber tear away can release the animal, release the collar from the animal and it's not going to be a hindrance to their health. So if they walk, you, you draw a polygon. If you're familiar with GIS, you just kind of draw a, a shape file, a polygon around an area that you want to keep them in. And you just draw that on your phone. Just a dot, 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 dot. Three, three, three dots is all you need to make a triangle. And we just kind of make that polygon around your area as the animal is, the animals then stay inside of that polygon as they approach the line, the barrier, the boundary, they get a, an audible sound. It just kind of starts low as ding, 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 ding. And it's kind of like a dog whistle. It gets higher pitched and, you know, their ears go back. They don't like that sound. And that collar is in front of them. It's hanging off their neck. So it's in front of them. So they they usually backstep. They, they don't, they don't take very long to learn it. So that audible sound, they backstep. If they continue to walk forward instead of back, they will cross that line and they'll receive an electric pulse. It's not super, super hot. Like it's like an electric fence. I mean, it's technically a little bit less than that, but enough to get the point across. And if they learn that that audible sound means they're going to get zapped, they're going to go backward. So if they do cross that line and get, get zapped, it resets and then it does it again. So your line is more of an area. They, if they get zapped, they continue to go forward. It goes ding, 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 zap. And then if they get zapped a second time, they'll do one more time and it goes ding, 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 zap. 
And if they haven't turned around by now, it'll send me a notification saying, hey, you've got a goat that escaped. And now I'm, you know, I basically pull, pull up my phone and I look to see where they're at. Typically, if that ever happened, it was going back in before I even pulled out my phone. It's back in where it was. But, you know, electric pulses and escapes would notify me. You don't want to be notified every time there's an audible sound because that's that's how they learn with the fences. They're always going to get an audible sound. So, um, yeah, it's supposed to take about two to three weeks to train. Mine took like three to four days. So it was pretty effective in training. I You set up a, a true fence. Basically, you have a, say, a square paddock. And then halfway through your paddock, you draw your virtual line and they see the other side. They know they can get over there. So they walk towards it. Well, they get the audible sound and then the zap. Then they learn that system inside of a safe space to learn. And then after three weeks, you turn them out to pasture. And after three, four days, I saw it was working. So I turned them out and haven't had an issue since. <laughs> They're pretty adverse to getting shocked. So how big of area are you giving goats and how accurate is that line? I don't know how big you can do it. I think you can have like 35 or 37 dots to make the boundary, which is a lot. I mean, typically it's a square or, you know, a polygon within 30 dots is pretty, pretty big. And then there is, I think it's like 150 hectares. It's still in hectares. And that would be like 200. It's over 100 acres. So you're not going to, you're not going to outgrow it. Yeah, so I'll condense, condense them down to like a quarter acre, half acre, full acre. Just depends on what I'm trying to track, how many I'm trying to keep in. And the nice thing, what I really like about it is just the trackability of it. Like it's a live, you got a live feed of where your animal's at. And so I've got one of those and every one of the goats that I have collared, it's, it's got a SIM card in it. It's just basically a cell phone connection. It's, it's cell phone technology and satellite technology, kind of a combination because where you don't have cell phone reception, it still works from the satellites. Like I, again, I talked about being in the Bohemian Alps, these deep, deep hills, deep valleys. I'll have the animals in there and I don't get, I can't make a phone call down there, but the goats are still staying in, which to me proves that it's a working system. So if they cross the line, the satellite is still controlling them, but I might not get a notification that they escaped until they get to cell service. Again, that hasn't happened. But if it, if it would like, you know, it might be a 20 minute delay before it says, Hey, you've got a goat that walked out of her boundary. If I'm in those areas, but nine times out of 10, you're in cell phone reception, you're getting it notified right away. And I'm sure that's, you know, that's changing as we speak too. They might have, might have better control on that. But yeah, the, the tracking feature is really nice. I can see where they're at, but also it gives me analysis on basically gives me a heat signature map. So a green, a green blob is where they spend a little time yellows a little bit more reds a lot so i can see where they hang out where they sleep where they like typically congregate by water by the mineral i can see if they're targeting like for me with the goats they're targeting the thistle they're targeting the poison ivy patches all that kind of stuff with cattle you'd be more hanging out by the grasses or under a shade tree and then like what was really nice this year during christmas eve we had a big major snowstorm that came through and I'm, of course, super nervous about my animals. Like, did they, because I don't, I don't do shelters. They don't have barns or anything. They're just out on pasture. And so Christmas time, big blizzard. I'm looking at my phone, checking my app to see, yep, they're still moving around. They're, nobody froze. Nobody's hurting. They're making their way towards the hay piles. They're eating the hay. They're making their way towards the water systems. They're drinking their water. Everybody's healthy. I wouldn't, I didn't have to go out there and check my goats. And that's, it's the huge security feature that I'm almost like a, I didn't expect that part. I expected the, the fencing part to be cool 
And it turns out that the security of seeing my animals any moment of the day is really nice. That sounds very interesting. Um, I find it very fascinating and would love to try it and see how it goes. Um, now, you mentioned you're doing some. Are you thinking this technology will eventually you'll have every goat with a collar on it? Or do you think it's just a specialized use? Yeah, I think, especially when, again, starting out fresh. If you don't have a pre-existing farm, you can start out with 5, 10, 20 collars. But even so, if you have 100, 200 animals, you, if you do price, price analysis between a virtual fence system and a new fence, like a solid fence, the virtual fence systems are going to be cheaper dollar for dollar. There are some places like, you know, long roadside, like le- legalities, like you probably still want some hard fence. I, I say I will always have some hard fences, some electric net fences and some virtual fencing, but a lot of people could definitely get away with just using the virtual fence technology and it'll continually improve every year. Just like, you know, cell phones, computers, everything gets better. Solar panels have gotten way more efficient, but it'll, it'll get better and better over time. We went from barbed wire fences to electric, electric fences. That was a huge step in technology forward. This is, I mean, that, that'll be this massive bump. I mean, from barbed wire to electric fences is great, but from electric fences to salt to, to virtual fences is huge. And it is definitely going to be a game changer in, especially the, the regenerative agriculture, the rotation grazing world, because it's anybody can put a hundred goats out on a wide open pasture and put these collars on it. It's not going to change anything. <laughs> But if you're trying to move them every day and move that wire or like me, move an electric net fence, put a, put a post in the, in the dry ground because we haven't had rain in two months and you're down in Oklahoma, you're, you're dry most of the time, right? <laughs> so moving those, those posts is a lot of work, right? <laughs> moving those posts is a lot of work, but moving, moving a pin on your phone is so easy. You just keep moving them and it's, it's going to be a massive game changer. And we are, we are right on that breaking point of it. It's, it's going to be taken off. One thing when I think about it, that how it could benefit, um, for me, example, because I still have my off the farm job and I plan my moves for my cattle based upon the available time I have in the evening. And like, like before we recorded this episode, I went and moved one herd and the other herd, I planned on not moving them tonight. So I have them in place and I, I knew I wasn't going to get to it. The goats and sheep, I didn't plan on moving them tonight because I knew my time was limited. For those people with the off-farm job and they're trying to do these frequent moves, the ability to do it from your phone and to see that the animals are where they're supposed to be. I've got one property. Well, actually, it's a property I moved cows on today. I've got drive-aways to get to it. So as much as I want to do daily moves there, typically I don't because of access getting over there and doing it and a tool like this i could see you can see the cows are or the animals are where they're supposed to be and you can do that more intensive management that you can't quite get to if you don't have enough hours in the day sure and then it even if you do get an animal that escapes like so you're talking just checking them in general but aside from checking them and moving them an animal gets away like you've got to get there you've got to work them to get them pushed in and i can just grab a pin on my phone, stretch that paddock around that one animal, and it'll stop them from going any further. It'll in, it'll push my other herd towards them. And so they can all meet up and then they move as a herd better, which I've got a, I've got a border collie and she's, she's my number one tool. And I love having her, but like I can basically have a border collie on my phone 
moving them with that that polygon around too. So when I when I have a an issue like that, border collie does everything, and now even making her job a little easier. Very interesting, Adam. It's time we go ahead and transition to our famous four same four questions we ask of all of our guests. And yes, I stole that off the Bigger Pockets podcast. Just don't tell them. Our very first question. What is your favorite grazing grass-related book or resource? I graze grass too, but I'm more of a browser. Like I, goats eat browse, they don't necessarily eat the grass. So I'm, I'm in a little bit different caliber than your, your, your normal guest or your, uh, your normal grass grazer. And I'm a pretty broad guy. I talked earlier about jack of all trades type, like you just don't focus so much on one thing, but big picture. So permaculture, that's, that's a good, that's a good book. Bill Molson's permaculture design, permaculture book. That's, that's a pretty good one. And, Love Joe Salatin stuff too. I mean, folks that say normal, that's a, that's a great book to learn a general sense of everything. Like, I don't know. I like those broad, those broad things. I'm a broad guy. <laughs> Second question. What tool could you not live without or what's your favorite tool on the farm? Oh, absolutely. That, that'd definitely be the dog. Rosie is my number one, number one tool, my best friend, my sidekick, my, she's my everything. And if there's, I don't always rely on her for, for initial things. Like if I, I like to do things myself and kind of work things myself. She's almost my emergency backup, but when I need her, she is there. I can call her. She's hopping my, she'll, she'll hop a 48 inch fence and jump over that. Come, come get the goats. And if I've got a goat that's under a brush pile and I can't get to her, I just send the dog in. She pushes them out. And yeah, she is, she is a controlled chaos because when she's released, she goes nuts for them. And then once I pull off, she's, she's done. Our third question, what would you tell someone just getting started? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I'd say kind of build your market to some degree, but just be confident. Don't be, don't be afraid to, to be that. I don't know what you want to say that, that weird guy. I was always the weird guy around here. Like, what's this, what's Adam doing now? He's got these goats. He's doing this. That'll never work. And so you got a lot of naysayers. Don't listen to the naysayers. You believe in something to stick with it. And I mean, all those people that are kind of laughing, all these little odd things I'm doing now, they're kind of thinking, huh, well, that seemed to work out, I guess. And you know, we're growing and growing and growing and expanding. And it's just a never ending. I don't know where the snowball is going to end up, but it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And, and now those people who thought I was nuts are calling me and asking me to come work for it, to come do grazing jobs for them. And and asking me for advice and how can I, how can I do better on my farm? Because, you know, we've always done this whole quote, you know, we've done it this way. We've always done it this way. This is what my dad did. This is my grandpa did. And it's, you know, they're just staying stagnant. And if everyone's doing the same thing, everybody is doing corn, soybeans, cattle. If everybody's staying stagnant, then it's all going to stay the same place. And it, you grow together, you go down together. And if you can just be a little different and do something, you know, out some some crazy idea, run with it, go for it, be confident with it, and see what happens. Sometimes you fail, sometimes you make it, but usually those failures are just ways to learn and learn how to do better next time, and eventually you'll get there. And our last question, where can others find out more about you? Yeah, so we've got a, we've got a Facebook page, Iowa Kiko Goats Facebook page, and that is, I'd say that's our source for the goats. We used to have a website, but Facebook has a lot, a lot of traffic. So we've stuck with our Facebook page. I mean, I've got my personal Facebook page. I've got somewhat of an Instagram account, but it's, it's kind of just made that up like a year or two ago and eventually probably end up having a YouTube channel, but I got too many other things going on. I like to, like to do things right if I'm going to do them. But yeah, right now I've got a Facebook page and the Iowa Kicker Goats Facebook page is going to have a lot of, 
I try to do educational stuff and see what we're doing, try showing, showing what we've learned, what worked, what didn't work, and just kind of share it through there. And you Google Iowa Kegel Goats, Google me, and you'll find different ways, different other, other videos that are out there and contact information, cell phone, email, everything is out there. Very good, Adam. Adam, really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to keep the conversation going, visit our community at community.grazinggrass.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Grazing Grass Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube for past and future episodes. We also welcome guests to share about their own grass farming journey. So if you're interested, fill out the form on grazinggrass.com under the Be Our Guest link. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass.